Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Uh, we've got a returning champion here, one Katie Herzog from the Blocked and Reported podcast, one of the finest podcasts in the land. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Well, I have you on, A, because you're, you're a fantastic guest, but also... A great basketball player. Great basketball player. That's also true. Uh, but more pertinently, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, uh, I, I might be in a bit of a controversy, uh, a feminism controversy, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, well, you've come and, to the um, place. Well, yeah, I, I was meeting with my my team, uh, my crisis center, uh-huh. uh, you know, my situation room, and they said that we needed a woman on, you know, to properly... <laughs> my favorables were down. Uh, uh-huh. This is something that we needed to uh, manage the crisis. And from what I gather, I, I, I haven't done that much research, but you're very... You're uncontroversial. That's correct. Yes. Right. I mean, I, I am uncontroversial. I'm barely a woman, so <laughs> they might have led you astray there. <laughs> That's the Matt Walsh documentary sequel, actually. It's called <laughs> Barely a Woman. Yeah, I can't actually open my own pickle jar, so uh, so yeah, I'm not sure I count. <laughs> well, um, it's. I don't even know where to go with that one. I think there's a range. There is a range of topics that we could uh, we can get to, and um, in the sports world, which I don't think is a world that you usually you usually are are all that into, but seems to be overlapping with some of the general topics of interest of late. Yeah, I mean, I do. As we talked about last time, I am a huge fan of the anti-Semitic uh, basketball players. But other than that, and uh, like local pickleball controversies, I don't spend much time thinking about sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is forty percent of the NBA. To be fair, you know, I prefer with the only one really out of Yeah, that's more classic. Uh, and they're gamers, which is a little bit yeah. stereotypical mm-hmm. that that Myers Leonard did that on uh, while playing a video game. But but yeah. yeah, this might be the last time I ever talk about this particular topic that has totally overwhelmed House of Strauss Industries, uh, the Cavender controversy. Uh, for those who do not know, and it'd be odd for a subscriber of mine not to, uh, I wrote an article in the free press on this particular new thing that's very interesting to me um, in college sports, where suddenly college sports stars are allowed to profit off of their image. They're allowed to make money from advertisers. For complicated reasons, uh, the wages are still suppressed in terms of salary. It's not exactly like the way it would be in professional sports. But the Supreme Court said in uh, 2021, and this is just the the summary, basically, that you can't you can't just keep not paying these these uh, employees of yours. This is a multi billion dollar industry, so the floodgates are open, and it's been interesting to see who's making the money. And mm-hmm. it was interesting to see that two twins, two blonde twins, who one was a fairly decent player but not pro level, the other was coming off the bench. Uh, made more money off women's basketball than anybody in the history of women's basketball. And it seems as though there's been a general trend of looks aligning 
with the ability to make some money. Uh, I wrote about that fraught, perhaps, topic. It, it would appear that the Twins did did not like it. They tagged Barry Weiss. Um, and, uh, and here we are, Katie. Here we are. Mm-hmm. I have been... Uh, yeah, I've been uh, macro-aggressed. I've been hate-crimed as well, a result of speaking the truth. I think they care in you. If they tagged Barry, they tagged your editor, they care in you. Mm, yeah. They did. They yeah. did. I I, don't... It doesn't seem too surprising that hot blonde tra- twins are making the most money <laughs> in anybody in the history of women's basketball. Maybe it should be surprising, but it doesn't seem surprising. I did find this all very interesting. I haven't followed this closely, and so until I read your piece— I didn't realize sort of the mechanics of this, of how this worked. Mm. And when this this was a, a going through the courts, it seemed very obvious to me that that student athletes should be able to profit off of their image if the universities are profiting off their image. In my mind, because I don't know anything about sports, in my mind, I was thinking like, okay, so Nike cuts a deal with the school and the student whose, whose image is used in the ad will get a chunk of that money. I wasn't thinking... That this was going to be like like student athletes with their own agents doing their own separate brand deals. And yeah. and and I also didn't it didn't occur to me that some of these kids would be getting really, really rich. And so I can imagine that there are all sorts of consequences, both inside and outside the locker room, to this system, which does on its face, it seems right. It seems like people should be paid for their labor. But yeah. then again, you're talking about, you know, 20 year olds making millions of dollars to like advertise, I don't know, protein powder or whatever. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, complications there. It's very interesting. I, th- that's that's where I'm at on it, where once you completely upend this system that had been around for over 50 years, um, yeah, I'm with you. I feel if you're working and it is a job and there are just billions of dollars to be made, especially on the men's football and basketball side, uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't have a cartel prevent you from getting paid, but it does completely disrupt the natural order of how it was all going. And I think in the case of women's sports on the college side, it was low in money, obviously, but high in prestige. And fame was very much aligned with uh, who's winning and who won the championship. That's what we would talk about. We would talk about the UConn women's basketball team as all time and their best player. And to a certain extent, that still exists. And there's more fame to be had for Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, uh, who are these great players. Um, but I don't think many people saw this coming. There were there was actually, if you look in the run-up, there was a lot of hand-wringing about how much less the women would get paid than the men. And they do, but they're actually far more competitive with the men than I think was anticipated. It's just that there's this looks component to it that maybe nobody saw coming because you're not even allowed perhaps in some spaces to voice it. But now that it's happened, there is this, uh, well, no shit aspect. Right. Right. It seems absolutely inevitable, uh, especially when you've got twins. Everybody loves twins. Apparently there's a novelty aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess there are some other twins in other sports and they get a little bit more, they get a little bit more attention. So I think the twin thing 
It's the hot twin. You got to be a hot twin. I'm a I'm a regular twin. No extra money here. You got to be a hot twin. <laughs> I mean, I guess those are the rules. Although, I mean, I don't even want to go down that road now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, there was that beer commercial back in the day where they uh, had two blonde twins. And the twins, I don't know if you watched any of the sporting events that had that commercial regularly running, but that was a bygone era where uh, regressiveness was more a part of the of the popular culture, but bring that I mean, back. to me, I, a little, you know, kind of maybe, you know, um, less self-righteous, just, less just, preachy. Yeah. I'm just amazed that I'm getting attacked, Katie, because who else I, here I was, I was looking out for black female athletes, not getting their right. just due financially. You would think people might be on my side here. Some of the people attacking me, but no, no, you know? No. So what's the, what exactly is the complaint? Just that you pointed out the fact that these women are capitalizing on their looks? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I think the fact, I, I think that a lot of it's mimetic. Frankly, if I'm just, and I haven't delved into all of it, I don't really like absorbing a whole lot of, some people enjoy that. Some people like that attention. I don't like that attention. So I don't I don't become an expert on my own controversy. Totally. But I think it was Barry Weiss times with me, times with somebody is somebody is angry. And I think there's a lot of reacting to the reaction in the culture that when somebody who has a bit of a platform or attention responds with anger, then there's an assumption that something bad must have happened to them. Right. And then you start getting the mimetic reaction to the reaction to the reaction. In reality, I don't really think there's much merit to the complaint. Um, I, they specifically quoted me as asking a question that I never asked, I recorded the entire thing. I never asked about their physical looks. It was also an interesting complaint that I only asked one question about their physical looks. I actually didn't ask any question about that. You didn't ask their um, measurements? No. <laughs> I mean, they they didn't, perhaps they didn't like that the entire time I was rubbing my hands together and just muttering <laughs> TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. I mean, that might have unsettled them just a little bit, but that's not content. That's not me no. making them say anything. I don't no. see what the I don't see what the issue is. Uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a stimming thing that I have going on. I think there should be some forgiveness there. Neurodiversity, right, you know, right, right. Um, they are they are the ableist ones. I that's that was my perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, who could be more ableist but an athlete? But yeah, I think there's a lot of reacting to the reaction. I I, I think with Barry, she's controversial. She mm -hmm. especially has a cohort that just knows to be angry at her, but couldn't necessarily articulate why. Right. And I am, you know, I, I do have this mindset of I want to know what people are thinking and why they're thinking it. And it all sounds very self-serving, but I have come to the conclusion that in many of these instances, a lot of people just don't think, and you just need totally. to accept that. Yeah. And they're probably you not know. actually reading the piece. They're reacting to the headline and they're reacting yes. to the twins being mad. And yeah, yes. I, I think you have a good attitude about this. This is not really worth uh, getting upset about. I think for your part, 
And there's always a good time. I mean, controversy in some ways can be good. It's sort of unfortunate for you that the controversy will land in probably Barry's getting Barry's newsletter, getting more reads than your own newsletter. I know that is the that is that's the real, you know, that's the real aggression here. That's the real um, tragedy. You know, that this was not my controversy to sop up and to lap up. It's big newsletter uh, privilege. Yeah, it's big newsletter privilege, but that's what I agreed to. You know, that's yeah. what I agreed to. And it it is what it is. But, you know, well, I think we can transition from. No, actually, we should spend about 30 more minutes on me mm-hmm. and then maybe get to some other topics. I'm happy no, to do that. I thought <laughs> we could also spend some time on you, whatever you want to talk Let's about. I'm curious about your housing. <laughs> we could, you know, work. We can get into the behind the scenes of Blocked and Reported, yeah. whatever issue you might have with Jesse. Oh, and we so can many. just air that. Yeah. <laughs> we can just air that for the world. Well, actually, I will start with a you and Jesse online interaction. By the way, I, I was under the impression that he was leaving Twitter. Um, and uh, I see tweets from him. So he, you know, he that's can't a whole... stay away. He's an addict. <laughs> he's relapsed. He's fallen <laughs> off of the wagon. He's mainlining it now. <laughs> Apparently, apparently. So uh, I think, and it is a topic that a lot of people in my business are a little bit scared to approach. I kind of think that the trans sports thing is is hot right now. It's, you know, it's like hot. Like in Zoolander. It's radioactive. Yeah, it's, it is very hot. It's, <laughs> it's so hot right now. I'm seeing some things out in the culture that are interesting to me. I think, I do think it's a cultural waterloo for general progressivism i do i do have the opinion when i look at it you just gotta you gotta drop this one you know this is not going to be something that works out but between now and that particular point it's almost like uh watching a mexican standoff or as we have said on this podcast you and i latinx standoff Uh where you know who's gonna move you know who's gonna do what there was a a survey that came out recently that showed Americans are even more against people playing uh, not for their, you know, on the team of not their biological identity. I don't even know how to do the phrasing of it, yeah. you know, but yeah. they're, they're more, let's just be honest. They're more against a, a, a male, a yeah. physiological male playing women's sports. Yeah. And it is actually, yeah. This is the media tends to, tends to, um, what's the word? Tends to, I don't know. We cut this part out Mystified. while I'm thinking. Um, they they tend to frame this as people being against trans people in sports, or they want to ban trans people in sports, or people want to force trans people to play with the wrong gender. That's not actually true. People, the thing that people object to is trans. It's very specific. It's trans women, so natal males, playing in women's sports. Very few people have a problem with trans men playing in men's sports. Uh, You had a case in Texas, Mac Beggs, he, a trans guy who was forced to wrestle with the women. He really passes as male. He's on testosterone, as you can imagine. Greatest female, greatest female uh, wrestler in the history of Texas. You know, he had a mustache, big muscles. Like that's a... That was because Texas's law on this is ridiculous, or it might not be a law, but whatever school district's policy on this was ridiculous. The thing that people have an issue with is natal males playing in women's sports. So when when outlets report that, like, the problem is transphobia or the problem is is trying to erase trans people from sports, it's not that. It's this very specific thing because people accurately perceive 
that males have an advantage over women. And the problem with this, to me, I think if you're if you're a trans activist, I think this was a which you are, of course. Uh, for trans activists, I think this was a, a really. Well, I'm silly- for it's. I'm I'm rebranding. I was for yeah. the black women. Yes. making the money they deserve and against the white Karens yeah. making money they didn't deserve. And this is part of my pivot. So yes, yes continue. Yes. So when, um, so, the, so I think the media tends to frame this wrong, first of all, but also this to me, so like if you're, for, so for trans activists to die on this hill, I think is, is really ill-conceived because this is a real emperor has no clothes moment when you read headlines or you read you read articles in the paper about how you know the data that we don't have complete data on whether on like the advantages that males have over over females yes we do like go to a wnba yeah yeah we all know this there's a reason that sports are divided by sex in the first place and that reason is to benefit females because females can't compete against males like that's I mean, there are some sports where there's exceptions to that. Gymnastics, I think. Really, Sniping. Yeah. Really? It, lo- I don't know if it's called that. Like sniper competition. Like literally, like women seem, seem to be pretty good at sniper competitions. Yeah. yeah. I think like like ultra marathons. There's some like long distance swimming. There, It's not every sport. But for the vast majority of sports, we know that males have these physical advantages. And so in order to protect women and give women a chance to participate, we segregate sports by sex. And of course, there are like the real differences between males and females. They show up during puberty when and it's not just testosterone. It's all of the effects of testosterone, things like lung capacity, heart size, muscle, the denseness of your muscles, all the things that Joe Rogan talks about. But even younger than that, you start to see kids separate into these ability bands around the age of like six. Right. And so if you have. And part of that is is that boys play. Part of it is cultural that bla- that boys are more likely to play play like pickup soccer and pickup basketball and pickup baseball and things like that than girls do. Just this sort of natural segue into different interests. But so the reason that we segregate even even youth sports is so that girls will have a chance to play, right? And and parents know this. Most people know this. And so I think it is very very silly that trans activists have chosen this hill to die on because it is making people rethink. Other long, other, other positions that do have more of a more of an impact on everyday, on unlike trans people's everyday lives, like polling. If you look at things like bathroom bills in North Carolina in 2016, they proposed a, a, a bathroom bill that was really, really unpopular. All of these sports teams, big events, decided they were going to take their business out yeah, of the, the state. The, right? The, the NBA moved the All Star Game over it. Yeah. Right. Right. If you look at polling from 2016 until now, what you found that in in some demographics, people are less supportive of trans rights, less supportive of trans people's ability to do things like use the bathroom of their preferred gender. And I think a lot of that is because trans activists have gone from these basic human rights issues, things like housing, employment, using the bathroom that you want or the bathroom that aligns with your gender identity to things like sports. And it's just like it's a, I think it's a tactical error. Um, and yeah, and we're, so yeah. we're seeing a lot of backlash about that now. That, that's like spreading way beyond just sports itself. It's spreading it. It's spreading beyond trans people. It's spreading into like gay rights, too. It's all very kind of scary in some ways. Well, I'm fascinated by the tactical error because I'm wondering um, your co-host is the kind of guy who will do diligent research 
into something uh, that perhaps should be intuitive or accepted. But I appreciate that he does that legwork and I appreciate that he will sometimes really just show objectively that X is true, even if I often think, well, everybody just should have known that. Right. This issue seems to be the king or queen of those <laughs> issues where it's it's fascinating to me. Have we developed such a cohort of indoor cats in this era of people looking at life through screens, of being sedentary, that we actually do have a critical mass of people who literally don't know what you're talking about and literally actually polygraph test them think that, well, there aren't major physiological advantages to being male versus female and playing sports. Is that part of what's happening here? I, that's got to be such a such a small population. I mean, I would I, I really think that the people who are genuine believers are outliers, people who really think like trans women are women, therefore they should play in women's sports. They just there's some people who who definitely believe that this is like Emma Viglin from Majority Minority Report Majority Report whatever that show is called. Uh, she's been tweeting about this a lot, and her and her argument is that it doesn't matter if this is fundamentally unfair if they have some advantage. The benefit of including trans women in this category is so huge to society that it's worth it. And I just think she's wrong. And I think that most people think that she's wrong about this. And she's, I highly doubt that she's like trying to get a scholarship right now, a sports scholarship. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm looking at the headline, uh, NBC News, most Americans oppose trans athletes in sports, poll finds nearly 70% of U.S. adults say transgender athletes should be allowed to compete only on sports teams that correspond with the sexes they were assigned at birth, Gallup found. The other interesting, actually, there are a million interesting topics overlapping with this tempest and perhaps teapot i think we are all accepting the premise that this is not the number one issue facing the nation but goddamn, for whatever reason it yeah. just seems to be the cross streams mm -hmm. of so much going on in the culture mm -hmm. um the other aspect is this okay 70 roughly 70 maybe 69 percent of americans are against this the other interesting aspect is i cannot find a prestige media member in sports media or mainstream media member in the sports world who will loudly voice what 70% yeah. well actually specifically 69 I keep you know I keep saying 70 a because it sounds more overwhelming and b the 69 thing there's yeah. like this cultural pressure to say nice yeah I don't want to give into that don't give in um but yeah I don't it's just come on like come, we're not in middle school here right um but yeah that the overwhelming majority of Americans feel this way what the hell is going on that you can't find people at ESPN, uh, at my former employer, The Athletic, who will just loudly say, no, nah, no, nah, we can't. Nope, can't do this. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, you're more familiar with that, with people on that beat than I am. But I imagine that people on the sports beat come from sort of the same the same world as most journalists. And there's a lot of internal pressure to comply with these outlier positions and nobody wants to be the person who's called a transphobe or a turf on the company's slack. Because it is yeah. it is very alienating to be the one person to be to stand up and be like, hey, wait a second, guys. Actually, I think that maybe the person with the balls <laughs> shouldn't be swimming in the in the women's race. Like you would not Just think. Take. Yeah. And and this is and <laughs> what's interesting to me is how quickly this has shifted, right? 
it was not very many years ago when this position would have been an easy easy one to articulate within any newsroom in America. Yeah. And now it puts you in the category of like you're like a Joe Rogan listener or a Joe Rogan bro if you're willing to say like, oh, maybe MMA should be divided by sex. Just maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, God, there's, again, there's so much going on with this with this crazy issue. There's a lot I've noticed with my smart liberal friends they know the deal at some level with this and they know that this really can't be. And I will I will go further. I think it's unethical. I think it it's unethical to have physiological males in these sports where they're especially sports where there's contact, but even in the sports like swimming. I don't think it's ethical. That's not me saying, A, that it's the most important issue to me. I'm not saying that I am inordinately even invested in women's sports uh, because that's become a criticism. Conservatives waving the banner of women's sports when they never really cared about it. I think there's some that's kind of accurate in many instances where they don't don't care and they're pretending to care. Like, I'm not even saying that I really care that much. I'm just saying if I'm to make a call on it, if you bring it to me as a judge, I would go, yes, that that is not ethical. But my liberal friends on it who know that at some level, I do think find various copes and, um, you know, rhetorical tricks to kind of just avoid it. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, um, I'll, I'll say this for my, my friend Amin, who I've had on. I will say that I do think he articulated a position that makes some sense, but I do think it's kind of avoidant in that this this just is happening so rarely that, you know, why even raise a fuss about it? I, the the counterpoint is then why even do it? Right. 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 Um, and I don't think we actually then, have good yeah. numbers on on how rare it is. Like I heard from a parent the other day who's at a uh, at a at a ultimate Frisbee tournament in Oregon. It's not co- ultimate is often co-ed, but this was not co-ed. This was a women's a women's league for this is for kids. Uh, his middle school daughter was competing. There were two, or uh, this was high school, two biological males in the event. Nobody, that's not going to be in the news. Nobody's going to hear about that. Um, you know, so I don't, so it's, it's, maybe it seems rare, but we don't actually have, it's like talking about detransitioners. Nobody yeah. actually knows how common this is. Well, and I think there's, it's almost wish casting from many of my friends and, and other people who they don't want to be on the side of the baddies as they perceive exactly. them. And they're exactly. just, they're just hoping that this doesn't become enough of an issue to where they have to say something. And so I do think it's talking with hopes in a way, because obviously if it reaches a certain scale, it just needs, it just needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And it's fascinating to watch it. I mean, I'm fascinated watching uh, Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, there was an exchange a few days ago where the reporter asked, what would the administration say to parents who are worried that their daughter may have to compete against the male and worried about their daughter's safety? And she just kept saying, what you were alluding to is that transgender kids are dangerous and just cutting it off and yeah. not addressing it. And I, yeah. I watched that and I had two thoughts. I had two thoughts. The first thought was that that's not going to work if this becomes enough of an issue, we could maybe work rhetorically. If we just hold frame right here and it's happening at this exact level that maybe the Leah Thomas situation was the high watermark of this particular participation, maybe that is enough of a rhetorical trick. Uh, but if it gets any bigger, that's not going to work. And no. nobody's in charge of the scale of how big it gets. And then the second thought was, are you really willing to lose an election over this? Right. To take it away right. from the morality 
and to put it in the practicality realm that I know people don't usually think with when they're right. having these conversations. They want to be on the right side of morality. But I'm looking at it, I'm going, look, this isn't the biggest issue, but it is the issue that makes you look the craziest. Mm-hmm. Is it worth losing an election over? And if you lost an election over it, then man, those are some fascinating dynamics that you would risk an election over this. They need to figure out how to come up with an answer to this question that is not going to alienate the average voter. Like they're trying to me, it seems like what they're trying to do is not alienate the activist, but they should stop worrying about that because who are the activists going to vote for? Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, like don't pander to those people. You've already won them over. They're not like Bernie's not running again. They're not going to vote for RFK. Um, Yeah. This, I think this is going to be a huge issue during the election. I do think there is one benefit to, like, let's say that it doesn't, like, stop here and that there is, a, a, like, a lot more trans women start playing in women's sports. The one advantage to that is that women's sports is probably going to get a lot better. <laughs> That's the one advantage. <laughs> I mean... Well, that's a whole other topic is I I don't even know what people want out of women's sports. They want the WNBA to be like the NBA. We want to see some dunks. (laughs) I mean, it was interesting that um, there was such interest in college women's sports and a a race war helps with that. I think that's what people want is what I discovered that Caitlin Clark of Iowa with her very white team getting a lot of attention was up against LSU and Angel Reese and her very black team. And as long as we can have a proxy war to mediate our ethnic disputes, I think at that point we can set all the other things aside. And that's when sports is really delivering to the public. Absolutely. Sports will save the Republic, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Or apparently maybe sports will make the public more tolerant uh, by some measures. Uh, How much are you following the various pride controversies in all of sports this month? How much of of that has crossed your transom? This uh, I have not followed it very much. I mean, I I sort of lump it in with all of the other pride controversies, which, of course, is a recurring theme. It's a it's a tradition every summer, but definitely more heated this year because Republicans seem to have or conservatives, social conservatives seem to have. They're really it's a a war on Big Rainbow. Um, They're they're (laughs) they're pissed this year. (laughs) Uh, It's uh... (laughs) It's like a great gay rap name. It's really yeah. good. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll present something to you that kind of stuck out to me as interesting. So yeah. there have been these, there's this friction, as you know, because let's say the athletes are not as obsessed with uh, gay rights um, as some activists. I know that sounds crazy. I know. Yeah. Um, they, some of them might even feel uh, maybe in the other direction. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds insane, but that's, uh, that's something that that's happening, but you have these things called pride nights and um this this there's an economic aspect of this because you can sell more season ticket packages. There's Filipino night with the Warriors. There's a a Jewish night, a Jew night. I don't think they call it that. I think they call it something different. Um, I'm still knocked. <laughs> they call it the night of the intact glass uh, or the backboard. I don't know. Look, look, we're just riffing here. We can't be held to account for anything we say. I have a pass on it too. Yeah, That's I the other too. thing. My this last name is Herzog. Yeah. Come on. People falsely assume with you. It's, it's I've noticed that it's interesting. They it's a they don't they can't differentiate between obviously Germanic and Jewish Germanic right. uh, like Strauss. But anyway, um, where was I? I have no idea. Oh, 
So uh, you'll have a, a pride night, which kind of allows you to do that for gay cohort. And I think that that is something that kind of can go without incident as long as you say on the jumbotron, hey, pride night. Um, but once you get into the realm of this is your jersey that you have to wear, athlete, to show that you're down with this, that's when these teams are running into some friction and you're having certain players you're having certain players say, yeah, this this isn't really with my values. And yeah. um, it's popped up a bit. I think we can maybe check out some of those controversies. But I want to start I want to start with something, uh, an instance where it wasn't controversial and the players all acceded to it. And that is the local San Francisco Giants. They had their pride night. They've got a manager, Gabe Kepler, who is kind of this uh, call him this this prototype or archetype i would call him the woke chad you know i think this is something that maybe we can popular uh, popularize as a concept because i think a lot of people in the right wing space have a lot of cope on this or they just sort of simplify that all the people that are progressive uh, all the men they're weak men and they can't get women and this is part of their strategy and da 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 but I see in sports that there are a lot of high status men and strong men who are very publicly woke and a maybe because they believe everything in accordance with that ideology or B it's obviously the easiest way to get applause from media and right. people like praise. And Kepler is one of these guys. He is uh, obsessed with his muscles. He was as a player. He is as a manager. He likes to pose in magazines with the with the muscles. So he is he is one of these guys who would fit into perhaps the BAP aesthetic, but with totally different politics. Mm -hmm. And I think he likes to get these applause lines from the media, and he kind of almost tries to outflank wherever they are ideologically. So he was asked about the uh, participation of the San Francisco Giants on their pride night. And he said, it's going to be 100%. There was almost a tacit uh, or else to it. And then he says, obviously acceptance isn't enough. Inclusion is probably more of the mission here. Um, I could yada yada with the rest of the quote, but I think those are the two main bullet points. And I, I took from that. I looked at that. I thought, shouldn't acceptance be enough? Yeah. I mean, like, where are we going with this? Acceptance <laughs> is not enough. Katie, how how gay does baseball have to be? The I obvious question. I want to see every picture pitcher sucking dick on the mounds. <laughs> and acceptance is not enough. You must all get rimmed on the mounds. Let's make this happen. Yeah, I, it's a it's a. I I don't know where we're going here. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I don't know where the end point is. Yeah, it seems bizarre to me that they would like. Do they make players wear like? I don't know, like on, on Jewish nights, do they make players wear like a Jewish star on their, on yeah. their uniform? Well, it's a very, um, it's a yarmulke. It's not, it's not obtrusive. And I, I'm offended <laughs> under, when they don't wear it. Under, just underneath <laughs> the baseball cap where everybody has to wear a yarmulke. Yeah. Um, you should yes. see how they make them wear, you should see what they make them wear on Hasidim night. It's uh, <laughs> players, 
they have to change how much certain players play. They get hot. They get very sweaty in those coats. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so why is why is Pride have to be so much extra? I guess we know why Pride has to be extra because it's fucking Pride and gay people are extra, <laughs> extra demanding in this case. This to me, I mean, it does cross a, a cross some sort of line when it comes to just like, like I would rather... A, I would rather a, a big corporate team just sort of pander and like have the pride night and do this once a year than then make this make this their cause because I think it's alienating not just to players but also to fans and I I think when you try to force feed people when corporations like part of the backlash to pride I think that's happening is because people feel as though it is being force fed forced upon them. And they don't like that. And they're resentful of that. And my fear is that that is going to translate to a renewed sense of homophobia, which I, I am seeing online. Like people I've seen, seen more people talk about how like gay marriage should be outlawed now than I have any time since 2015. And I, I would like to see some polling on this as well. I, I think it'd be really interesting to yeah. see if people's attitudes about that have changed. So I, I again, I think this is a. I think this is just a miscalculation on the part of activists. The same thing, like that, like I know about the controversy with the Dodgers inviting the um, the, the sis- perpetual sisters of indulgence. Perpetu- yeah, sisters of professional indulgence. That oh, group yeah, is up. is is like one hundred. Like they do some good works. They they raise money for AIDS education and shit like that. They have a, a long history of being of, of being sort of do gooders in some way. That is completely inappropriate for a big diverse environment like a Dodgers game. Like it is, they are directly satirizing Catholicism and Catholics. And we talked about this a little bit on our show, but my first, when I saw the backlash to this, my first impulse was like, oh, you know, the, the, the conservative scolds being, they just like, they can't get it. It's, it's sisters on professional indulgence is funny. It's sacrosanct. They just don't get it. And then I saw a tweet by Robert George, who's a, who's a, a, a Christian who's done a lot of work with Cornell West. Interesting guy. And he said something like, what would the reaction be if the Dodgers hired a group of, of Muslim impersonators? And he was exactly right. I mean, that would actually yeah. probably be a lot more dangerous for various reasons. But you just like no outlet, no sports team would do that. And to me, I think it's very tone deaf. And it it shows that the whoever is is planning these events doesn't actually understand their own audience. Uh, it's just an unforced error. Like you can have a pride night without having people who are dressed up as like slutty nuns as part of your pride night. It's not that hard to do it. Slutty nuns with kind of V for vendetta esque (laughs) and V for vendetta esque mask kind of look to it. There's, Mm -hmm. there's like a clear element of freaking out the squares for the fun of it, which has its place in the culture. But there's something interesting about taking what is camp and what is risque specifically because it is defiling the sacred and you know there's a pushback of well why should religion be so sacred you know why can't you make fun of religion why can't you do a a sexy jesus striptease what's wrong with that and i mean that's one conversation but i think the reason that has a certain appeal is specifically because it's subversive and not mainstream right Right. i think there is something very odd about saying the los angeles Dodgers right. need to endorse it. Right. Like the reason that the, you're right, like the reason that these things are fun and interesting and sacrosanct and iconoclastic is because they are counterculture. And what's and we're seeing this all in, in so many facets of the culture right now. It's the counterculture leaking out into the mainstream culture. And there's a real clash there. Um, and I don't see who 
benefits from this at all? Like, do Sisters of, Indul- of Perpetual Indulgence, do they really want to go mainstream? Do they, is, is that, like, good for their brand? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they've already filled up the garage with the mugs and other yeah. sorts of merch. And yeah. they're looking to become incredibly popular and selling at the next Women's March or whatever. Uh, the whole rhythm of that controversy back and forth was that you had the Dodgers announce this. Then you had the backlash to it. Then they reversed course and said, after hearing from Scott Weiner and other politicians that were pro-sisters, that I think they would include the sisters, but then their superstar, you know, maybe greatest pitcher of this era, Clayton Kershaw, who is an observant Catholic, was not happy. I thought that he was very polite in his pushback Mm -hmm. and measured, uh, but it seems like he used that to pressure them into a more prominently featured Christian night. Uh, So the entire thing was a culture war shit show. Mm -hmm. And I, one interesting aspect of it is I actually saw the LA times um, show their letters to the editor about it, which they curate. And I had the sense that the, the, the hand was heavy with the curation because there was far more criticism of Kershaw than I actually think is happening with baseball fans and especially the type of older cohort who write letters to the editor. Yeah. And if you if sports wants to embrace this sort of like Kaepernick stand up for what you believe, you can't really draw a line and be like, yes, those people can stand up for what they believe, but you can't stand up for what you believe. I mean, they can. They're they're private companies. They can yeah. do what they want. Um, but I think that's a hypocritical and, and sort of destined to cause more controversy. I'm just fascinated by the kind of need for the Mott and Bailey, the sort of need to keep pushing. I think it's it's analogous to how corporations have an embedded growth principle where it's, it's never creep, good yeah. enough. Totally. It's never good enough just to make a profit. I remember having it described to me years ago during the Time Warner merger that HBO was this beautiful machine that if you put $2 billion of investment into it, you would get $4 billion in profit every year. But with the merger, it just that wasn't good enough. It's like you need to be like Netflix. You need to do this. You need to be making more HBO shows. Da 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 da. There's just always there's always this pressure to broaden the horizons, and I think it does invite that moment that we're talking about where people go, yeah, I don't trust you anymore for whatever you say the next cause is because it's only going to precede another ask and another ask in the territory that I'm not going to be comfortable with. Totally. I think that's exactly what happened within queer rights. You had all of these organizations that were really focused on on a couple of issues, gay marriage being the most prominent one. These are organizations that have lots and lots of money. And then after the success of that movement, they didn't pack up their bags and say, like, we did it, guys. Let's go get jobs at Chipotle or whatever. They just pivoted. (laughs) They moved on to the other to the next thing. And the next thing happened to be trans rights. But instead, but, you know, and so they focus on housing, employment, equal sort of basic equal rights. And then Bostock passes or uh, Bostock, uh, the Supreme Court rules on Bostock. Trans people have basic human, the same rights as everybody else. And so, but you just continue to pivot. You continue to find something else to basically justify your existence. I I think it's a very natural thing among organizations um, and people. But there are consequences to this. And I think most activist groups just sort of like roll along until the point where they are actually doing their doing their cause more harm than good. Yeah, I think they perceive what you're saying as concern trolling. And I guess from their 
in their defense, they've been gaining so much territory and so much purchase in the culture that it would be hard to hear somebody saying, dude, you're you are you're, you're going to ruin it. You know, yeah. you're going way too far. There, there is a Waterloo. I yeah. think the sports thing. I do think that is a Waterloo. I guess there will be a bunch of different Waterloos if it does happen. I mean, but kids that's as the well. One, yeah. Yeah. And that's for other like reasons and in other situations. And there's overlap because it's a youth sports, a youth sports aspect. But there's something interesting about the inability to moderate. And I and I'm seeing it, you know, to bring it back to the transports thing. Uh, Scott Galloway, who I look at as kind of a normie lib, uh, makes appearances on uh, Bill Maher and um, and does a podcast with Kara Swisher. Uh, tweeted a self-inflicted wound. If Democrats don't condemn trans women competing at this level in women's sports, our ability to advocate for transgender rights will be impaired. Have we gone mad? I, I don't want to bring us back to the conversation that was doing to 10 minutes ago, except I kind of just did that. But when I see that, that, that shows me that maybe the bomb will be diffused. Maybe Scott Galloway is maybe how this ends for a while. Or it's, who knows? Yeah, keeps going. I, he's obviously correct here. I think the problem is that the pressure that the White House is going to get from it's from within. Uh, and so from young advisors, from people for for people for whom this is it is obvious that trans women are women and therefore trans women belong wherever women do. So this internal pressure, it, you know, it depends on who they've sort of surrounded themselves with. Like if they hired a bunch of like Elizabeth Warren advisors uh, or absolutely screwed um hmm. and then also just pressure <laughs> from from activists they did i mean they you know last week or earlier this week they had these they invited these trans activists to the white house and a bunch of them took their fucking shirts off <laughs> which i don't it, it 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 almost okay that was a fascinating one because it almost depends on what your ideology is yeah if you think that that's bad I, it just it totally messes with my mind because if a biological male trans woman right. takes their shirt off and being careful here right. at the White House. This is some you need to. This is what gets you into MIT. If you can yeah. unpack this riddle yeah. of who is supposed to be offended and why right. they take their shirt off. But it's they're a male not nipple. showing it's a male nipple. Right. But conservatives are offended. But would they right. be offended if a. You know, if I don't know, there's a baseball team at the White House and a guy flashes his chest because he's yeah. so excited. I don't think they would be offended by that. So, they so yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, they should be offended by the trans man with the surgery scars because that's technically a female showing his nipples. But the trans woman with the big old titties and the implants showing her titty, her side boob, that should be oh fine. It's it's all like a free oh. the nipple movement. But but still like. <laughs> It is, it is like very confusing. The same thing, the same sort of weird 40 chess, chess problems come up when you think about trans, whether trans men should be allowed in women's only schools <laughs> because they're technically yeah. female. Anyway, um, yeah, the whole, but just the idea that activists, like they're going to go to the White House and the thing that, they're, that they think is a good idea for the cause is to take their shirts off. Why? Why? Like, this isn't actually TikTok. This is actually the White House. And the White House condemned it, which I think was smart in the moment. That was smart by them. Yeah. yeah so so there is at least a line that they will that they will not cross. It turns out that it's it's titties. <laughs> Apparently. Well, 
I mean, Janet Jackson found out the same thing uh, back in the early aughts. Yeah. That is that that's that's the red line right there. Um, yeah, I think that there 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 there's this thing happening where you've got normal people, you've got normal gay people living their lives who are just doing their thing. Um, and then you've got the activists, and yeah. I think a lot of the activists, we we we're not often honest about it. But there are a lot of activists who just get off on freaking out the squares totally. and get off on kind of just just knowing that they're pissing people off. And I hear a lot of that language. I was watching the uh, queer sports uh, series on Vice, um, which immediately closed up shop. Apparently, that series did not uh, save their company and did not you know prevent the layoffs. Uh, but I did find aspects of it interesting. But in the language people were using, there was a lot of really enjoying that square people right. are angry at your displays, which I don't think that's a healthy impulse. I don't think that's good for the person doing it. And I don't think that's good for the culture writ large. It just seems if you're trying to get somebody to see life from your perspective um, or to be more tolerant, uh, you shouldn't be getting off on how angry you're making them, or am I crazy? No, I mean, this is the sort of thinking that teenagers who are mad at their parents indulge in. Like, this is not, it's not sophisticated, it's not mature, and it's, frankly, really ill-advised and counterproductive to the cause. I mean, the reason that that gay people are no longer shunned from society is not because even things like die-ins or whatever, the reason that gay people, that there was this this great shift in consciousness is because gay people started coming out to their families and started showing that we actually are very normal and boring, just like everybody else. And a lot of like queer activists bristle at that and they would accuse me of, 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 of I don't know, but... But that's but you can just look you don't at think, you don't think it, you don't think the the rights would have been expedited if there had been a totally nude episode of Will and Grace <laughs> or you don't you don't think that would have helped. It might have made some more people come it? out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think there's also there's a lack of like of especially among young activists there's a lack of of sort of historical thinking. Um, you know, it's all really unfortunate because I think they're really damaging their own cause and I think they're hurting. Like normal trans people and normal gay people who just want to live their lives, uh, you know, people like me, well, podcasters. The, the biggest victim of them all, the biggest Always. minority group, yeah. the, the podcaster. Um, well, I just think part of it, and I've noticed these arguments play out, usually arguments of morality beat arguments of practicality. And what you're saying is true. But that's just not how a lot of people think. They just think, well, this is moral and I'm fighting for what's right. People don't think strategically. And Joe Biden winning the primary might have been the only time I've seen it happen politically where I do think a lot of people did vote strategically um, in the Democratic Party and go, yeah, I think this this guy is actually the guy who can win. Mm -hmm. um, and the others, I might be more with them, but I don't think they can. But usually in politics, I, I just don't even think that works. I don't think it no. works to, to say this is the most practical answer. And so that presents a difficulty because the people who are invested in doing the activism are very much motivated 
by their sense of righteousness yeah. and are just not going to listen to strategic concerns in many instances, even though I think it that used to be part of the game, that people yeah. would be more strategic. Yeah, and people surround themselves with people who think just like them. And so there's this weird feedback loop where people are getting more and more extremists. And this happens on both sides. I do think that yeah. the conservatives have absolutely lost their shit when it comes to this, like, war on pride or whatever. It's really silly. Like, freaking out, shooting Budweiser cans because of one sponsored Instagram post of Dylan Mulvaney. This is all, like, I I, I do think they are having a, a real moral panic about this stuff right now. Is is it okay to drink Budweiser? Because I, I think no, it was question. Bud Light cans that got yeah, shot. good question. It's, it's going to... It's still going to Big Rainbow yeah. either which way, but the Bud Light was the specific in the conglomerate was the specific tranche yeah. that offended. I mean, I guess I if mean, you if you're really that, committed, you should just drink like micro brews now. Local like brew your well, own. That, that's yeah. the horseshoe. Yeah. That, that's yeah, the horseshoe. Totally. Well, that one was that one to me was also interesting because it was so transparently tempest in a teapot silly but it was meaningful potentially as a precedent because totally. this is this is where the culture war is fought right now and whether it's sports or whether it's commercials for major brands that is the transmission of what is normal and what is mainstream which is why the activists are fighting over it i wish that they didn't now know that you know mm-hmm. we, we had a better we had a better country when the activists on every side didn't realize that that this is where the mainstream, the manufactured consent happens. But in a way, it doesn't matter. But in a way, it does matter because um, conservatism, social conservatism does have a win if more corporations are freaked out about offending their base. And to be fair to them, I think for a good many years, the attitude of these corporations was fuck these people. We don't right. care about them. Right. So. Now you're seeing now you're seeing it all play out. And even if the shooting of a Bud Light can is totally stupid, it is part of this overall culture fight that has meaning and consequence. Yeah, for sure. I mean, corporations are going to do what is best for for the stakeholders. They're going to do what what makes them the most money. If two years ago, three years ago, that was putting out a Black Lives Matter Coke can or a Black Lives Matter like (laughs) Big Mac, they would have done that. And now if it's burning the rainbow flags in front of their building, they're going to do that. (laughs) I don't know if they're going to, though, because there is this element of they're not just motivated by money. They are motivated by what their employees might freak out about. And I think in the decision making tiers of these companies, it is over indexed with people who went to Brown and the like. And so that's the other thing that we see happening where. They offend the customer base because I think there's the employee base and the thing that you just mentioned where, you know, a lot of people are talking to like-minded people. And, God, it's such a shit show, Katie. It really is. I think it's it's just, you know, I'm not saying that I want to go back in time to the 1950s, but – Pre-social media, is that too much to ask, you know? Like, like like what year? What year do you want to go to? (laughs) We were young. (laughs) I mean, well, how do you feel about this? Because I look at you as somebody who has had success, immense success off this cultural insanity of the social media world. And I would put myself in that box as well, where I have the best job. I have the best job in America. I get to work whenever I want to work and there's no boss. Uh, 
I was getting canceled, goddammit, yeah. this week, but it yeah. doesn't matter. Right. I still have the kind of phantom leg syndrome a little bit where it, I, I'm getting the feedback that would make you think you're in danger and you just have to keep telling yourself that, wait, no, there's no there's no Slack channel. There's yeah. no HR meeting. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm good. It's cool. Um, how do you reconcile all that where uh, the world has fallen, but you have risen? Yeah, it is. I do... I think about this a lot because the the like weirder and worse the world gets, the better it is for me. <laughs> for it is, you know, and like like there was this moment where things started to calm down, and I thought like, you know, if if if, if the media writes itself, if if we get to a to a nice place between like wokeness and conservatives and like puritanical conservatives, if we get to that nice place. Is there going to be a place for me in the media? Because my job is commenting basically on what I see as these two extremes. Luckily, conservatives got batshit crazier. So that means that that the woke side will get crazier in response. So the feedback loop keeps going, Yeah, which is good for me. But I, I do think it is bad for bad for the world. I mean, you know, if like even the business that we're in, like this this model where you and I now have successful businesses, we both employ a couple of people. But, like, my community would be a lot better off if instead of me making all of the money that I make, all of that went to a half a dozen reporters at the local paper, right? Mm. I don't want to be one of the local beat reporters anymore. I don't want to do that. Like, it's a shit job. It's underpaid. You have bosses. You have HR. You have to go to an office. I don't want any of that. But I do know that that's what my community needs is actually somebody down there at the, you know, covering the school board, in covering city council. So I definitely, I, I feel this tension there. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I don't enjoy the fact that I have benefited from it. And, yeah. you know, and I'm, and I'm not going to like donate my income to the, to the USA <laughs> Today that owns the shitty local paper. Um, but there is, I, I do feel some tension there. I mean, they might performatively reject your donation yeah, yeah. Um, for clout. You know, yeah. we will not accept this. Right. I'm, I'm just consistently interested in how did this happen? Was this simply a technology problem? Was this simply that uh, there's something about social media that is inherently competitive and inherently binary and inherently does this? But I, I think this other thing happened to really look back on it. Um, part of why things are getting so crazy. I'm thinking specifically about the the issues we discussed in this episode um, and I, I look at some of the language that's used um, and I, 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 I'm looking right now at this tweet from Jamel Hill, who I think she might be still at the Atlantic. And for, for what it's worth, I hear is a really cool person, but she's one of these very pugilistic people who's on the, the lefty side of things right now. And um, on the transports thing, she said, some of us are smart enough not to be used by bigots who don't care about women's sports at all. So it's almost like every conversation is part of this meta conversation where it's not even about – I don't even really get a sense of what Jamel Hill thinks about this issue. It's just this idea of I can't be on the side of the bad people. Right. And I think that neurosis is very particular to our time. Mm -hmm. I think before that, people just had political opinions. Mm -hmm. It's just I, – I, this is what I think. But now there's this – panopticon effect of i am being watched 
and I need the people watching me to know that I'm on the side of the da, 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 da. that part, I think, is very particular to our era. Yeah, it's it's common enemy politics, and it, it can be really bad because sometimes your enemy makes the right decisions or does something good. Like there's yeah. a couple things I can name like two or three, maybe four things that policies under Donald Trump that I think were actually really good. I don't like Donald Trump. I fucking hate the man. I'm not going to reject you know, the first step act, just because it was a Donald Donald Trump signed the bill, that's going to hurt people. Um, I think, yeah, people need to be more sophisticated in their thinking. But for people like, like Hill, there's also, you know, she has incentives to be as black and white and as her thinking as possible, because that's what her audience probably wants. Well, Donald Trump is part of this. But I think part of what got us totally. here, and I'm just riffing, I'm being a terrible interviewer. I'm just having you sit here and listen to my takes. Um, but that's just what happens sometimes like with yeah. this podcast. Um, I think part of what happened is that being on the right or right wing became so stigmatized uh, within, let's just say, the elite in cosmopolitan people that it really deformed the politics. And it was a part of this process that started, I think it started a little bit with Clinton because Clinton was cool. And then more so with George W. Bush, because that administration went disastrously, especially in the second term. And then with Obama, it's almost an inflection point. And for uh, professional class people, millennials, especially Obama is this God and then it reaches this other inflection point with Trump, where he is just beyond the pale to the educated classes. And I think it's created this dynamic in the aftermath of it all, where being branded as on the right, where it used to just be when I was young, it used to be some people are on the right and some people are on the left and we have two different parties and that's that. Now it's a real social stigma mm -hmm. in urban and upper class America, if you're working in the cities. And so it's been deranging because people are terrified to just say what they think on an issue because they're so scared of having that overlap or just being accused of that overlap. So they're going to shut up about certain things that they think are crazy. They're going, okay, I'm not going to say what 69% of people believe on this issue because in my community, somebody is going to brand that as coded right. And that's something that I can just not withstand as a stigma. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Trump has a huge part to do with this. Nobody wanted to be on the wrong side of history and Donald Trump was the wrong side of history. I think there was a real fear about that um, after 2016. I, I, I get the sense, and this is based just sort of on vibes and on observing Twitter and other social media, that Gen Z maybe isn't as uh, as tied to that as we are. And that, like, yeah. you look at you look at the success of things like Red Scare. You know, they went from being leftist Bernie Bros to being like Dasha is now a like cat like goes to Catholic church. They hang out with Roger Stone. Uh, I don't think they vote. They talk. They talk like very positively about Donald Trump. And so like the hipster thing, at least in that little enclave, the hipster thing to be is no longer a uh, like a member of the DSA. It's to be like a black pilled, uh, you know, to smoke cigarettes. And like yeah. th th there's this weird return, like that's the counterculture now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that spreads outside of like Dime Square or whatever. Well, I think you're making a great point. And um, I do think the Zoomers are interesting to watch. I was talking on the last podcast I did that they've got a very non-institutional and some might say sub-institutional uh, community 
among their biggest influencers. They aren't part of the mainstream in a way. I mean, the Cavenders, they're not really political at all, uh, but they leave the NCAA. I guess they do pro wrestling. That's an institution. But I look at Jake Paul, who they have partnered with and has 17 million followers on TikTok and is run this, running this sports gambling app that the, that the Cavenders are partnered with. He is a huge Trump supporter, just major Trump head and FaceTimes with Trump, does the whole thing. And it 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 doesn't they don't matter. Care. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't like we we see all the survey data that the young are more liberal than the old, as is always. Um, and you know, maybe that trend's accelerating, but at the same time, there are these cultural products that are specifically massive among among young people. That where it doesn't seem to matter if your politics can be branded as right wing. Right. I think the full send podcast, those guys are another one where they're absolutely massive and they had Donald Trump on and they're just completely enamored with him. And it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter. And it also doesn't seem to matter. They also draw guests from the other end of the spectrum and it's it's OK somehow. So. Yeah, I'm not sure what the hell is going to happen with that space and whether there's going to be a fashionable swing of the pendulum uh, to the other way. My suspicion is that everything happening with people younger than ourselves is kind of orthogonal to everything we know. Yeah, I don't understand uh, understand it. And I refuse to get on TikTok. So it's like even like yeah. people who are incredibly famous – Maybe this is just a product of getting older, but people who are incredibly famous. I've never fucking heard of them. I just heard of Mr. No. Beast like a month ago. This dude is, you know, one of the most yeah. famous people in the country. Never heard of him. Well, that I, that the Mr. Beast, par, Mr. Beast paradox is an interesting one of there is an argument for him being the most famous person on on the planet. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying that I would make it. I'm not saying that I would believe it. And if you're scoffing at which, what I just said, just understand that all his videos are translated into all the other major languages. And there are massive amounts of people in these other countries, in India, uh, Japan, wherever, who know who Mr. Beast is in a way that doesn't happen with all these other celebrities uh, who don't have the ability to translate what they're doing. So he's the most famous man on earth, potentially, and your mom has never heard of right. him. I mean, that right. is, once again, perhaps particular to this to, to this particular era where fame is so compartmentalized, mm -hmm. and especially among the youth, because they can just adopt forms of technology that we can't even come close to truly understanding. Yeah, yeah. And also, we're getting old. We're getting old, but I'm... I, I'm against here. Here's where I'm at with that, Katie. I don't like when old people apologize for their oldness. No. This is maybe my favorite part yeah. of Bill Maher <laughs> in that he absolutely refuses. He refuses to bend his creaky knee. Yeah. And I'm I'm with that. I'm with I'm with his position of fuck you. I'm wiser. When did we start doing this? And the answer is uh, the boomers. Yeah. Like the boomers have inculcated this sense that is ironically led to us dismissing them because I think they were the ones who really popularized the idea that the young people are always right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely the young people are not always right. And plus, the the alternate the alternative to getting old is not getting old, and that means that you're dead. So. There's some benefits there. I, th I was fascinated that Elon wants to die. That's that was fascinating to me. Did you see that? I didn't see in that a, in an interview. Like he, like he doesn't want to live forever. He's like, please kill me. Yeah. Okay. He well, it seemed a little bit like the latter uh -huh. because he was asked these other billionaires. I mean, look, you're doing all these advances. You're trying right. to save humanity. 
um, increased capacity? Do you want to try to live forever? Because maybe something like that is potentially conceivable. It's just a technology problem in theory. Um, and he said no. And he gave a whole spiel hmm. on how nothing ever changes unless people die. That's the people don't change their minds. They just die. And also that when I die, I would think that it would come as a relief, he said. <laughs> he and must. it was with this heaviness. <laughs> well, he's got like 14 <laughs> children and he's running a terrible company. So I can see why he might want to die. Where are we at? Maybe we'll close up on this. Uh, where are we at on Elon? It, it seems that among the, for lack of a better term, heterodox thinkers, you were the biggest Elon hater. Um <laughs> Where where are we at on that right now? What, I, what is the level of your Elon aversion? Uh, today, it's not as high today, but I just, I think that he's doing a really bad job with this product, with Twitter in particular. There's so many small changes that have made, have made the product worse. Like, do you think Twitter is better or worse since Elon took over? <sighs> Man, I don't know. I kind of think better. Really? I actually kind of think better. In what sense? But in the sense that I'm being throttled. At some level, I don't want to succeed. So okay. I think that it's protecting me from myself. Okay. It's reducing my influence on the culture, okay. which at some level I understand attitude. is good yeah. for, for everybody. Um, I think that there's something to it where fewer hysterias are happening. I think pre-Elon there was something to the algo where I felt as though the people running it were putting their thumb on the scale and some of these brutally tragic and graphic uh, incidents were getting blown up in a way that felt very astroturfed and creating circumstances where my my job would shut down for the day because there was a shooting uh, of a massage parlor in Georgia, for instance. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that happening as much. And while I can't prove it's because of the change, I deeply suspect it's because of the change and since my primary concern with Twitter is the these mass hysterias leading to actual violence and destruction and disarray, I would have to give it my tepid uh, Roger Ebert thumbs up relative to the past. Okay. So that's my that's my judgment. Okay, so I think that part of what's happening is that times have just changed when it comes to that. Like it's not 2020 anymore. It's not 2021 anymore. But also, like on my feed, on the For You page, so I think that was a, a mistake to, to have this like this feed that is not something that you've opted into. These are not people that you've opted into followers. This is just this algorithmically curated feed that you're now being force fed. So mine is much, there's much more conservative outrage on mine, much more conservative outrage. And conservative mm. outrage is maybe not as, as, uh, has as much impact as liberal outrage because the media doesn't care as much and the media just sort of dismisses it. But there's so much like my, my, a lot of my feed is basically like Matt Walsh and a thousand miniature, miniature Matt Walsh's freaking out about pride flags and what's being taught in schools. And some of it's genuine. And I think there are reasons to freak out. And some of it's just straight up not. Some of it is, 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 is based on like absolute misinformation. Um, so I'm seeing a lot more conservative outrage. The thing that he did with the verification, I think, was so stupid, just incredibly idiotic to take away this thing that was that had some utility and devalue it. So it has no meaning and no utility. Um, there's just like small 
small changes he made to to the platform that I think that I think are just make it worse. But the thing that I really don't like about him is that he pretends to be a free speech absolutist, and then he does things like throttle no. Substack. It's, re- it's totally hypocritical. Totally hypocritical. He is like he is no more of his free speech absolutist than anybody at Twitter has ever been. He has the same attitude, which is I'm in favor of free speech when it benefits me. And if I'm offended or I'm hurt somehow, I am no longer in, in favor of free speech. And just like so I'm doing the notes now for our for our show. And it used to be before Elon got pissed at Substack, you could just embed a embed a tweet and it would like auto populate. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. So just small things like that where I have to go take a fucking screenshot <laughs> of this, annoying. save it to my Yeah. So so stuff like that. And I'm like, you have made like why did he do this? Why did he make this worse? Why? Because he got pissed yeah. at Substack? Come on. Yeah, and I don't expect the people listening to break out the violin no, for us. Of course not. But it has it has been very annoying functionality wise. This Cavender uh, statement they put out. I want to embed it because I can't screenshot it because it's very long, but you can't. it's okay. Well, how do I, yeah. I, you know, I think my editor found a button that can, you can click on it and then it pops up and it's just everything with him and the sub stack has been like that. And it's been, you know, it's been annoying and it did yeah. materially hurt my business. I had to change, then I changed my domain and then things got better, but it's just been this, giant pain in the ass. And I think there's a very good argument for just in user friendliness, Twitter has gotten worse. I mean, yeah. what could be less user friendly than having to pay money for certain right. aspects of it? Right. Um, you know, so I think that way, what you said is interesting that there's more conservative, more conservative drama. And it, that does validate my sense a little bit when the, when the, uh, the changeover was happening, that this platform might be so powerful and so mimetic that if you're in charge of it, you can just change what the freakouts are about. Mm-hmm. And this is just so cynical in a way, but people react to the news as though it's just the news. You know, it's being presented to them. So therefore, it must be important. But it's really more an act of curation than anything else. Totally. And you could make anything your anecdote of the day that's about how society has fallen. And people didn't want to admit that a few years ago, but. You know, the Central Park Karen or whatever is as arbitrary a thing to blow up and highlight as as anything else. And so I just thought to myself, well, if a right wing person ran this, could they just change what the normal person's conception of the big freak out is? And and maybe I mean, you don't really have all the aligned NGOs and the uh, keeps the keeps of cultural power with the newspapers and everything else. But I suppose it's possible that all all it really takes to uh, change the normal person's perception of what's crazy uh, is who's running Twitter. Yeah. Have you checked out any of the other like um, what's the new one? Blue Sky. Have you gotten on Blue Sky? I, I'm losing track of what yeah. the competitors are. And yeah. it, it sounds like a weird street drug to me. Yeah. I don't know if I want to get involved in Blue Sky. This is so it's Jack Dorsey's <laughs> thing. I, I kind of forgot that it existed until right now, but it would be interesting to a lot of like the people who would have been blue checks, the former blue checks have fled to Blue Sky, the people who are sort of the outrage mongers. So it would be interesting to look at that platform and see if they're, I mean, it's possible that there are outrage stories happening all the time that we don't even see anymore because they have left. Mm. And, uh, I don't know how much crossover there is on between the platforms. Is the, uh, has Twitter tr- drift a little bit to the right 
been devastating for Gab, you know, yeah. does Gab still exist? I don't know. I don't know. I've yeah, uh, I mean, I, never know, been a, never been a participant in that one. That's my official party line that I've never been. Yeah. A, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's the, I hadn't even thought about what you were saying. I actually thought about it as Elon took over Twitter. There were fewer hysterias, but it didn't change politics political outcomes you know it doesn't seem like in terms of elections it seems the democrats are still doing great so it hasn't represented itself on the what what word am i looking for just electoral level but culturally it might have changed the culture yeah i mean now you have you know you have tucker carlson doing his show on twitter now it's it's absolutely drifted to the right and yeah i mean i think the right in some ways the right is ascendant right now which I find a little scary, uh, but we'll see if that translates beyond Twitter onto the real world. Well, the right is ascendant, and that is why Blockton reported the most conservative show yes. yeah. out there is crushing it right now. I I didn't lavish you guys with the praise that you so deserve, but um, I mean, I I just look. I tend to do my research on the most recent episode when I have a guest on your your podcast. It's a it's like an anti circumcision podcast. <laughs> focus of it that's it that's all that this yeah. is the only thing that we care about now is saving the four tips free the nipple free the tip free the nip and the tip uh uh just viciously anti-semitic yes anti-circumcision podcast yes with a side of islamophobia mm-hmm. well uh, i mean no, I, guys, I am muslim so i can say what i want yeah, about I mean, people yeah. a bit of an uncle <laughs> Yeah. A bit of an Aunt Fatima, whatever <laughs> term I'm going with. Um, it's You guys do an incredible job. I lavished you with the praise last time, but um, you are just great at taking some of these cultural controversies and translating it into a narrative form that can be followed and is actually entertaining. I was actually thinking during my bullshit with the Kavaners, I was thinking... What do I what do I have to do right now to be something that Katie and Jesse talk about? Like where does this have to be? Make it about circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking I needed a meltdown. Yeah. I, th- I felt like if I did an Instagram live and I cried, totally. then maybe it's not too you late. Guys the, sh- at that point. the next show isn't out yet. It's not too late. You have I'm gonna edit it I right li- after this, so you have like an hour. Dude, I literally not even because we were doing this podcast, I was actually thinking I, I was envisioning you and Jesse talking about my tearful Instagram live <laughs> and going like it, it, the typical thing you guys are like, look, he's making some points I agree with, but I think he's maybe he maybe needs to touch grass. I don't think he needs to have this. You know, I don't know if he's going, but I feel bad because he seems like he's really in trouble yeah. right now. And I don't want to say anything mean about it. But, you know, anyway, um, is there anything else you would like to promote beyond your excellent podcast that's conquering the new uh, conservative space? No, that's all I've got going on. That's just that. Just the podcast. <laughs> that's all I do. Check it out. Block and reported. We always love having you on. Thanks so much. Katie. Good to see you.